Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 592nd edition of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. I'm your host, Daniel Feuerstein. I'll give you American perspective of our clubs, leagues, players, national team, and other fabulous moments. Get your daily reading from me and other writers over at both Rebel News Network and Beyond the 90 at Substack.com. But as always, this show is dedicated to the American game for you, the American listeners. Chat room is open. Come on in. Discuss amongst yourselves if you like. And if you have a question for me, I'll try to answer it to the best of my ability. And tonight, you know, I've been doing a little bit of a soul searching. Yes. Yes, I have. And when you're talking about soul searching, I'm talking about, well, I'm talking about a certain player who is currently on the U.S. men's national team in the CONCACAF Gold Cup. And he plies his trade with FC Dallas in Major League Soccer. And that is Jesus Ferreira. Now, look, I completely understand why everyone wants to see talented American players leave MLS and go straight to Europe. I understand this. Do I think it's also a fun thing for them to do as well? Absolutely. I think for them to enhance their their trade, to enhance their technical ability, they got to go to Europe. Because even though Major League Soccer is improving, let's be fair and be honest – the level still needs to get to where Europe is. And until that does happen, look, it's inevitable that if he does get an offer from a European club, hopefully the top four countries in England and Germany and Spain and Italy, France is not a bad place to be at either. Neither is Scotland, neither is Portugal. Romania, Hungary, but the idea is for him to improve his talents. Now, granted, we're thinking about his national team career. And yes, I will admit, opponents like St. Kitts and Nevis, as well as Trinidad and Tobago, are not ideal, but once again, You can only play who's in front of you. And yes, you did expect him to score a hat trick against St. Kitts and Nevis, or at least this U.S. team to score multiple goals and not allow one. Trinidad and Tobago, while still a tough opponent, but to be fair and to be honest, and if Shaka Hislop is listening, of course, ESPN FC commentator, analyst, uh, and no offense to shock, of course, but the truth is Trinidad and Tobago is not what they used to be when they were 
a strong nation. Now they're just a shell of their former selves. Did I expect Jesus Ferreira to convert a hat trick against Trinidad? Absolutely not. And now the question is this. Should we really start pointing our fingers of blame at Jesus Ferreira because his two hat-tricks in two consecutive matches gets a hat-trick? Should we blame him because he's not doing it against tougher opponents? Once again, he's 22 years old. And for some players, it will not come that easy. It could take them a while to reach that level to get a hat-trick against the Dutch, against the Germans, against the Spaniards, the Bridges, the Brazilians, the Argentinians, the Colombians, the Paraguayans. Those are the difficult nations and there are probably a lot more. I just don't. I just forgot their names at the moment. Probably could also add Portugal as well. To say that, you know, he hasn't done it against that type of quality yet. But the truth is, when have you ever seen Landon Donovan, Clint Mathis, Demarcus Beasley, Clint Dempsey, and the many many other American players? score a hat-trick in international play against those types of nations. Never. Because they're difficult. Because they're hard. Scoring a hat-trick is hard in soccer. Just like in hockey. It's a difficult thing to have three goals in one game. Gotta be, you know, on point. You gotta just snap your fingers, dominate, take down the opposition all by yourself, and burying the puck and burying the ball as much as you can. It's difficult. But once again, we all know this. And once again, it is a situation where I believe Jesus Ferreira, and I admit, I'm guilty myself. I said it on the post-game show after the USA demolished St. Kitts and Nevis 6-0, that I want to see Jesus Ferreira do this against bigger and better opponents. But for him to have two consecutive hat tricks in two consecutive international matches, that's no uh, small feat. I never expected that to happen. And now we're seeing him being mocked as the pirate of the Caribbean, which I think is completely and totally unfair. It is very, very unfair. There's nothing much you can do when the opponents in front of you are on the schedule. Especially with the CONCACAF Gold Cup during the group stage. If it wasn't Trinidad and Tobago, it would have been Nicaragua. And because of Nicaragua's stupidity of fielding an, an, an ineligible player during the CONCACAF Nations League... Their stupidity. That's what got them kicked out of the Gold Cup and allowed Trinidad and Tobago to promote themselves out of the preliminaries and go straight into Group A as the highest team at that time. 
or at least the highest uh, point total team to go into the Gold Cup group with the U.S. and Jamaica in League B of the Nations League with the best point total. I think it's unfair. I, I, I believe it's unfair to harass him and call him the Pirate of the Caribbean. I'm sorry. Because now we're making all these situations to a narrative. Because narratives now all of a sudden work for all of us? No. Absolutely not. Narratives do not work anymore. It's really a shame. Because the truth of the matter is this. If we're going to have a negative narrative towards any player on the national team, and we are going to harass him because we think he can't handle the pressure against the better teams in international football, well, what's the point? We're not giving him that fair chance. We're not giving him that fair opportunity. We are not giving him that opportunity to improve himself. And that's wrong. He's only 22. If he is going to be the future of this national team, and granted, he didn't look good against the Netherlands in the second round match in the World Cup, and I understand that. Because the truth of the matter is this. He shouldn't have been in there in the first place. And I'm not saying because he couldn't handle it. I'm saying that the way that Burhalter made his starting 11 was absolutely incorrect. Because in my mind, Jesus Ferreira should never have been allowed to come off the bench then because that's not a teaching moment. And Burhalter did was wrong. He overthunk himself. He overthunk himself. He tinkered because he should have put in Giovanni Reina right off the bat. Now, I understand his thinking back then because of the injuries that he was suffering, Gio Reina, during the Bundesliga. But the point is, if he was a little bit more clearer in that situation, then that's what he should have informed the U.S. soccer media and to the U.S. soccer fans. Because if Greg Berhalter felt that Giovanni Reina I'm not putting him out there for over 45 minutes or whatever. It's because of his injuries that he received playing for, for Borussia Dortmund at the, at the Bundesliga in Germany. Well then, you know, that makes sense. But Greg doesn't want to make sense. He wants to continue to make problems. And that's what happened when you threw in Ferreira. And then all of a sudden it's, well, now I got to throw in Giovanni Reina for 45 minutes where he could have used somebody else. I understand Josh Sargent got injured and he couldn't start. I understand that. We all understand that because it's in front of our eyes. But if you can't inform us why you're going to put in Ferreira and not Sargent or not somebody else, well then what's the point of telling us or making us believe you know what you're doing? But once again, Jesus Ferreira, whether he wants to go somewhere else or stay in MLS, that's up to him. 
And no matter what happens, until he does make that move to Europe, he will be ridiculed. He will be treated like crap. He will be basically shamed because he's able to beat the minnows and not the majors, not the big fishes. And I just think it's not right, and I just think it's unfair. And once again, U.S. Men's National Team Twitter has gone awry. And it's not just that. It's just social media in general. It's easy to fit a narrative, and then the one day he does improve, and the one day he does destroy the bigger teams in world football, you watch, folks. You watch. It's going to make you eat your lunch. You'll no longer be dishing out the words. You'll be eating crow. And I admit, I did it myself. Once, as I said, on my postgame show after St. Kitts and Nevis. That's what I thought. And then he did it again against Trinidad. And even I know it's difficult to score a hat trick, not just once but in two consecutive matches on the international docket, whether it be friendlies, Continental Cup competitions, or World Cup qualifiers, the World Cup itself, it is difficult, very, very difficult to convert a hat-trick two consecutive games in international matches. Look, we all have our opinions and we all have our doubts. And I understand that. I'm not here to tell you what you should or shouldn't think. If this is what you believe in, that's fine. But let me just remind all of you this. Words can hurt. These narratives can hurt. And believe me, I've been the target at times of some of those words. It's not right. It's not fair. And it's not pleasant. Trust me, whether I was a kid or whether I had a job, no matter what I tried to do, no matter how much I tried to be a good teammate, I have always had the finger of blame pointed at me, whether it was justified or not. And nine times out of 10, it was not. So let's all lay off of Jesus Ferreira, please. Let's lay off of him. And let's see what he can do in bigger matches down the road if he does get selected again when Greg Berhalter does take over. I'm not saying I trust Greg. I'm just telling you what we need to see from Jesus Ferreira, and hopefully he can transfer into Europe and become a better player. Great show for you tonight. Uh, My first guest tonight. My good friend over in Kansas City, as we're going to talk about sporting Kansas City, now a member of the Kansas City Soccer Journal, my good friend, Mike Kuhn. Cuny, welcome back. It's great to have you back on the show, and how are you, sir? Always a pleasure, Daniel. I'm doing well. That's great to hear. I'm glad you and your family are doing well. Well, Cuny, um, Kansas City right now, if we take a look at the uh, Western Conference standings, Uh, Very unfamiliar territory once again. They are just below the playoff line. I know they're just hovering right now um, in 10th place uh, right now uh, with 24 points. 
and um, just a point behind Vancouver, two uh, points behind Austin, three behind Houston. Uh, what's been going on with Kansas City, and, and why are they all of a sudden having these issues? I mean, it, it's kind of hard to explain. I mean, the the start of the season, they just – I mean, honestly, Daniel, it, it's just hard to explain because the talent's there, the team is getting healthy, and to be fair, at the same time, now that they're healthy, I mean – we've been playing better basically since the, since the month of May started, we've had two games that have basically been poor. The, there was the game in St. Louis where they lost four zero. And then there was the loss a couple of weeks ago to uh, Chicago at home, but otherwise the team's getting better. It's it, it, an in, integrating Polito and Kinda back into the game, getting them match fit, getting them to round in the form, um, getting players. It's hard to explain what's been going on because it's not really been just one thing. It's they haven't been playing well. They haven't been creating well. There's plenty of blame on Vermes for that. There's plenty of blame for the players on the field for that. It's just all around for the first three months of the season, they just weren't good. They were just a very bad soccer team, basically. And now they're kind of rounding into form a little bit. But at this point, the question has to be, is it too late for them to really do anything? Mm-hmm. Yeah, very true. If I, I know that Vermees is holding on to two hats, obviously him as the head coach and him as well as a sporting director. And, Look, I'm not here to question Peter at all. I know what type of a person he is soccer-wise, and I think he's still a very good and you know, uh, cog in sporting Kansas City. But I guess the question now is, does he get relieved in one of his duties? I don't think so. I, I honestly don't think that'll happen. I think uh, ownership is at the point where they are comfortable with him in that in him, with him having both roles they uh, <clears throat> appreciate what he's done for the club over his time i i know there are a lot of fans that would like him to lose one or both positions but at, at this point i'm just not i don't think that ownership will do it at this point well, look, I mean, I mean, look, I mean, there's comes a time when and I'm not saying I'm 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 supporting this idea, of course, but I think there are times when you have to say that one day this wonderful era that Peter Vermees has done in Kansas City, not just as a player, but as a head coach and a sporting director. I mean, something's got to give here. I mean, we don't know if he'll stay on as sporting director and let somebody else run the club on the pitch or vice versa and we'll see what happens but uh, I mean I don't know if, uh, do you think that there's going to be candidates available to take over in either position that's the tough part because just knowing Vermes the the person knowing who Vermes the person is 
I can't see him wanting to hand over any uh, any of those responsibilities. He he likes having that much control. He wants to have that much control to be able to 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 institute and do what he wants to do with the team. I mean, he 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 has his he has his people in there. He has the for, from top down uh, all the way down to the youth academies and stuff. It, it's all his people, all his his stuff. So I don't know if he would want to step down from any of those to, to even, um, even allow another candidate to step in. It's, and in that situation, it then falls back on ownership. But like I said, I don't see ownership right now being in a position where they're going to be like, okay, we, we're, we're ready to move on, especially when, with the fact that before the season started, they extended his, his contract for, uh, another few years, basically. So he, I just can't see the uh, the the divorce between sporting and Vermes will have to happen eventually. I just don't. As much as some fans may want it, I don't think it's happening in the near future with the team. I can understand that, and uh, we'll see what happens uh, moving forward, I guess, this season and uh, maybe in the next. We'll see what happens, but uh, I agree with you. I think Vermees is uh, not going anywhere. I think he's going to keep both jobs, and uh, we'll see what happens moving uh, moving ahead. Now, as you said, uh, Pulido now back with the club. He's off to a. I think he's off to a very good, uh, a good season at the moment. I mean, obviously there's probably more that needs to happen, but he's leading the club with eight goals currently. Shaloy uh, with four. What has Pulido done differently, or what do you think Peter has done to help him out to get him more opportunities to get goals? I mean, I think it's just the players around him are. He, he's. He, a he he just is very good in how he gets into positions. I mean, th- there's a reason the team paid a, a giant fee to get him to to come here. It, it's disappointing that he hasn't been healthy enough once he's gotten here to to show that uh, all the time, basically. But I mean, he he's an incredibly talented player, and he, there are pieces around him to help help improve the team and it's just been a matter of him getting back into the uh the, the swing of things players like Gotti Kinda getting back into the swing of things and forming those connections in game situations with the likes of Russell and Tommy and Shawi and Voltaire and all those guys and now that they're doing it again they're the the Polito was named MLS player of the month for for May um, or was it June? It was. He he was named Player of the Month recently. It was June. Um, and so he's just he he's able he he's healthy. He's playing like the player that Sporting signed as as a DP. Basically, it's just the injuries have been more than the the injuries have negated the ability for fans to see everything that he can do on the field for the team. And uh, if I can ask you this, of course, goalkeeping, Melia uh, is still on the team. I see, uh, has he been uh, back to his old self or uh, it's been basically uh, goalkeeper roulette? Um, I mean, he, he was starting to round back into the uh, form of the goalkeeper we saw last year, but 
he he picked up another injury uh, in the middle of a game against Minnesota about a month ago, and since then uh, uh, Kendall McIntosh has stepped in, and he him stepping in has kind of continued the run of form. So uh, with Melia still out, McIntosh has been the one that's taken over uh, the starting goalkeeper position, basically. So Melia's there. He's he was doing well, but again, it's as I think I mentioned previous on prior times on with regards to Melia and Zuzi and Espinoza. Father time always catches up with you eventually, and the the injuries for Melia it just continues to be father time catching up. Yeah, nobody's lots on. That's for sure. No. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, no way. Yeah, Zlatan could probably still keep going at age 45 if he wanted to, but he, of course, he just called it quits. So we'll see what happens there. Um, so other than that, what do you think you're going to see from Sporting Kansas City up till this point? We all know League's Cup is coming. You can give me your thoughts on that if you want, but what do you see from how they're going to finish here? Do you think they're going to get off to a be- uh, as you said they're they're improving, they're doing better. Still a little hiccups here and there, but do you see them improving and making a playoff run? I don't know if they'll make a playoff run simply because Sporting has um Sporting has not had a break yet this year, I guess is the best way to put it. They they've played every match day up to this point. And at, at, it becomes a question of uh, do the teams that still have multiple games in hand on sporting um, able to pull a further gap in terms of points or able to pass sporting in terms of points. I'm not sure a playoff berth is going to be in the cards for sporting. I'd like to see them at least keep challenging for it, still be in that conversation all the way to the end of the season. Not sure how that'll work out, but that – Given how the season started, that's about where I'm at with what my hope is for this season, is that they're still pushing for a playoff berth by the end of the season, basically. Yep. No, I agree with you there, and we'll see what happens. Obviously, St. Louis City has been uh, ripped roaring, and uh, they're right now in first place in the West. They're probably first in the Supporters' Shield standings depending on what uh, Cincinnati does nope Cincinnati's still leading with 44 points but St. Louis is doing pretty good so far how has that been I mean we all know the battles between the Royals and the Cardinals in baseball and obviously unfortunately no more Rams in in St. Louis but uh, still though what what do you think uh, the battle has been between St. Louis and Kansas City at this point in time I mean it's hard to call it much of a battle when um, when St. Louis dominated Kansas City in the, in the only time they've meet, met this year. And, I mean, you have one team leading the West and the other team uh, trying to find a way into the playoffs at, at this point. And I, I think the potential is there based off of the uh, conversations fans from both sides have. But, I mean, right now it, it's – it's one of those things where you you uh, you laugh at the team that's that that's your rival when they're when they're down and sporting fans don't really have a response because they're like yeah we suck right now basically so it, huh. it's 
it's a tough situation for uh, for sporting um, as it is. But no, I think the rivalry can and will get there. It just will take sporting stepping up on the field and being able to uh, to challenge St. Louis in that situation. Yeah, very true, and we'll see what happens down the road. So for all of us that, of course, you know, you and Thad were a part of uh, formerly the Blue Testament from SB Nation, and unfortunately they jettisoned you and mostly the majority, with the exception of Atlanta and Seattle. But um, talk to us about Kansas City Soccer Journal and uh, how you and, uh, I believe, Thad got this whole thing started, and how's it been so far since you guys uh, started this venture? So, I mean, when when the news came down with regards to us, with regards to SB Nation uh, stopping the uh, support of uh, the Blue Testament and the other MLS uh, SB Nation uh, sites, the, the group of us that from the Blue Testament, we just, we, we looked at it as the chance to kind of restart in a way uh, in the fact that we, we we could go a different way with the name. We while the sporting and the current have teal and the comets wear blue. It, while all the teams in some semblance have a a uh, blue in their color palette in some way, we felt the the chance to change and start fresh with a new name. Um, would and it would be the uh, would be the best thing for us as a group to do, and so we we debated a number of names for basically a good month or two <laughs> until finally we settled on um, the Casey Soccer Journal, and so that's what we that's what we went with. It's still been a process, but I think we're think we're doing a good job, and we're we're still trying to give the teams the coverage that that, that they deserve to get. Exactly. And you know what? I'm just glad to see you and Thad are still going at it. I'm very happy that both of you uh, are still going strong with it. And uh, as always, I think you guys are going to do well, and I think uh, you'll be successful. So that's my hope for all of you over there at uh, Kansas City Soccer Journal. I want you guys to be uh, as strong as possible and just keep on doing the good fight. That's all we can ask of you to do. But CUNY, as always, I appreciate your time on the show. Thank you very much for coming on tonight, and I hope to talk to you again soon. And uh, let's see what Kansas City does and hopefully make the playoffs. Always a pleasure, Daniel. I'll talk to you later. All right, I'll talk to you later. Once again, Mike Kuhn, now Kansas City Soccer Journal, joining me tonight to talk about sporting Kansas City and the season they've been having so far. So uh, we'll see what happens what they do with the rest of the season. Now, for those of you that uh, follow the U.S. Open Cup, and of course the semifinals will get underway on August the 23rd, which will be on a Wednesday, and CBS Sports will be uh, broadcasting the should be and it should be a lot of fun. I know I cannot wait. Uh, depending on which platform CBS will be using, whether it be the Galazzo Network, CBS Sports Network, or for the hope and the praying of their CBS Sports National Channel, which would be in New York City, in the northern New York City tri-state area, it's CBS Channel Two. Uh, hopefully, wherever the national CBS 
station is where you are. Uh, it hopefully will be on there as well, but we'll have to wait and see what, when and what it will be at the moment for both the semifinals and the final, but we'll have to wait and see when that happens. Some wonderful news came across my email as I got wonderful information. Uh, the United Premier Soccer League, that is the league below USL League Two and the National Premier Soccer League, the UPSL officially by the U.S. Open Cup Committee has been given a permanent spot in the first round of the Open Cup. Now, what does that mean? Because this league is a two-season league, very simple. The champion of the spring season will automatically go to the U.S. Open Cup. But that also means that the other teams that will be eligible to battle for that spot, depending on where they finish, or depending on if they want to be involved with Open Cup qualifying, those teams will still be accepted into the Open Cup qualification rounds. At this point in time, only the spring season champion will be given an automatic spot, just like the USL League Two playoff champion and the eight quarterfinalists from the NPSL playoffs. And from uh, the quote here, the UPSL, this is from the Chief Executive Officer Graham Walsh. And he quotes here, it's been an absolute pleasure working with the Open Cup Committee. This decision is a testament to their great motivation to keep improving this competition and recognizing the growth, excuse me, the growing talent at the semi-pro and amateur level. The first round place in the U.S. Open Cup acknowledges the magnitude of our champions' achievement, the quality of their roster, and presents an incredible opportunity for them to compete against some of the best teams in the nation and further showcase themselves on the national stage. And, you know, to me, exactly correct. Because this is what the Open Cup is trying to do. Gather in information, improve the tournament, and making it stronger and better than it's ever been. And it, it's not just hoping for more eyes on the competition, but more competition inside the tournament. Because now the United Premier Soccer League clubs are being allowed to not just qualify for this tournament, but to have a big carrot dangling in front of them. You want that automatic spot? Qualify for the spring season playoffs. You got into the spring season playoffs? Well, let's go get it, and let's see if you can be the one to automatically go into the Open Cup. And that, my friends, that is something tremendous, is something special. That, my friends, is what we want to see. 
And right now, they're in the playoffs. And right now, it's looking pretty good. The finals, the national finals, are being set for Segra Field in Loudoun, Virginia, at the home of Loudoun United. Now, I probably made a mistake there. It's probably uh, Loudoun, Maryland. I'll just double check uh, to make sure I have the right state. I just want to make sure that I am giving you the correct information. But at the home of Loudoun United at Segra Field to host that final. Wow. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And as I was correct, it is in Virginia, Loudoun County, Virginia. That's where the UPSL national finals will be held. Just wanted to make sure I was correct in the correct state. And it is going to be exciting and a lot of fun. And all these games, as I understand it, are being broadcasted on YouTube. Currently, the upcoming games on in the playoffs, as we have the brackets ready to go, July 8th and 9th, Idaho Cutthroats taking on Valley FC 559. At the moment, Indios Denver FC taking on the Houston Dynamo Academy. That's on the western side of the bracket, on the eastern side of the bracket. City Soccer FC taking on AS Frenzy. SCU Heat, South Carolina United Heat taking on Tennessee Tempo. Detroit United taking on Chicago Nation. That's FC, that's in the round of 16. Some of these other first-round matches have not been played yet. This will also be on the 8th and the 9th weekend of July. <clears throat> Excuse me. Bridge Sports Club taking on Boston Street FC. The Philadelphia Lone Star taking on FCY New York. And in uh, other matches, we have Minneapolis City SC taking on Sporting Wichita SC. Total 90 Football Academy taking on Defeaters Kicks SC on the 8th. And also on the 8th, SoCal Reds FC against Chiraco T. I probably mispronounced it, Chiraco FC on July the 8th. Once again, you can watch some of these games in the playoffs on YouTube. And once again, the national finals will be held on August 4th through the 6th, which means the semifinalists will be playing each other at Segra Field on the 4th, and then on the 6th of August will be the final, and the spring champion will go to the first round automatically of the 2024 U.S. Open Cup and beyond. So now we have the champions of the U.S. Adult Soccer Association automatically going to the first round of the Open Cup, the spring season champion of the UPSL, the eight finalists of the NPSL, and the USL League Two champion also going to the Open Cup. Everyone else is either through points per game or going through 
Open Cup qualification, which will begin in about two months. Just a little over two months, starting in September. And that, my friends, is something I cannot wait. That, my friends, I cannot wait to see the next round or the next tournament for the 2024 U.S. Open Cup. The uh, Open Cup entry information for 2024 is already available. Just head over to ussoccer.com, click the link for the U.S. Open Cup, scroll down on the main page of the Open Cup to the 2024 uh, Open Cup entry information and the dates for the first qualifying round will be on the weekend of September 9th and 10th. And then the second qualifying round will be on the weekend dates of September the 30th and October 1st. The third round of qualifying will be on the weekend dates of October 21st and 22nd. And finally, the fourth qualifying round will be on the weekend of, uh, of November 18th and 19th, the weekend before Thanksgiving. So it'll be a little bit more earlier than before. We will not go into December this time around, and it should be a lot of fun. And make sure for all the teams that wish to enter the Open Cup qualification stages, uh, enter your team by July 31st. Right now, we are on the 5th of July, which was already we celebrated our birthday as a nation. Happy birthday, America, once again. Belated, but still, though, happy birthday. And in 26 days' time is when you must enter your amateur team to attempt qualification for the 2024 U.S. Open Cup. And today, the the registration link is to be posted. It was posted today. So if you are a club, amateur club, getting ready, you want to be involved in the Open Cup, register now. Head on over to uh, usopencup.com or go to ussoccer.com and click the link for the U.S. Open Cup page. Get to the main page and then scroll down past 2023 Open Cup schedule and head over to 2024 U.S. Open Cup entry information and be ready for that one. As we once again inform you of the schedule, CBS Sports will be broadcasting both the semifinals and the final. Once again, on Wednesday, August the 23rd, FC Cincinnati will be hosting Inter-Miami FC at 7 o'clock Eastern, 4 o'clock Pacific at TQL Stadium. And Houston Dynamo will be hosting Real Salt Lake at 9.30 Eastern, 6.30 Pacific at the Shell Energy Stadium. Once again, CBS Sports will be broadcasting the semifinals and the final. And as always, not as always, but now VAR will be in play in the semifinals and the final of the 2023 Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup. So get ready, folks. We are seeing more improvement in the Open Cup. It is fabulous to see improvement in the Open Cup. And I cannot wait for future Open Cups to keep going, to keep moving forward, and looking darn good 
It's going to be excellent. I cannot wait. And now time to talk about the New York Red Bulls. They headed over to Lower.com Field in Columbus, Ohio, and unfortunately fell two goals to one. Now, I really have no complaints uh, in this match. I thought they played well enough to at least take a point. Unfortunately, they could not. And the New York Red Bulls, unfortunately, fall and head back home for two home games this upcoming weekend against New, uh, New England Revolution and then midweek against FC Cincinnati. But, but, let me say this. This game, you really have no complaints. They did their best. Should have been at least a draw. But once again, the referee has failed the New York Red Bulls. And I keep saying this all the time. I'm not looking for the, for the referees to hand a victory to the New York Red Bulls. I'm not looking for, v, for Pro or VAR to hand a victory over to the New York Red Bulls. But when you have a situation where the Red Bulls are given a penalty – as Omir Fernandez was tripped up by the goalkeeper in the area. And apparently there's a check being made. And the referee has not blown his whistle to signal, take the penalty. Cause I didn't even hear, a, I didn't even hear a whistle. I heard no whistle. His arm and his right hand or his left hand, one of the two, I don't know which one it was, but I know his hand was out had it out there saying, wait, we're doing a check. VAR is doing a check. No whistle has been blown to say, take the penalty. And Elise Manuel took the penalty and nailed the post. Now, if there was no whistle to inform Manuel to take the penalty, and there's still a check being made, isn't it up to the referee to blow his whistle to blow the play dead and say, come back. We're going to do it all over again. I did not give you an official signal to tell you to take the penalty. Did he do that? No. Was the check complete? No. And because of that confusion, Manuel took the penalty. Now, you want to say it's his fault? He should have waited until it was official? Probably so. But it's also up to the referee, and it should be on the referee, to blow the play dead to say, I, we have to retake the penalty. I am not done with the check with, through VAR. And VAR is not done with the check either. Because as always in a match, the referee will blow his whistle to signal, take your penalty. That did not happen. And it's very, very frustrating, once again, where VAR and the referees are not in sync. And at the same time, the referee is not in sync 
during the match. And I'll be honest, I thought this referee was very good. I thought this referee did a very good job of officiating. I thought he was doing great work. Everything was fine. I was not having a problem with how he was calling the fouls, how he was issuing the cards. Everything was fine. But unfortunately, that one gaffe brings back the question. Is VAR and or are the officials intentionally going after Red Bull Arena or going after the New York Red Bulls, I should say? You would like to say no, and I don't want to say yes either, but the amount of poor officiating towards the New York Red Bulls has been very blatant. It's really hard to see, you know, how it's not. Like I said, I am not expecting the officials nor VAR to assist in giving the Red Bulls a victory. But if it's not as clear as day or plainly right in front of their faces, well, then what's the freaking problem? Tell me what is the problem right now. Because I would like to know what's what's going on and what is the situation. We would really like to know. Has there been any player, coaching staff, front office person, sporting director, head of sport, have they said they've insulted any member of your family? your pets, the town you live in, or why why your you know your your officiating uniform is not up to up to code or something. It's getting to the point where it's getting farcical and it's just getting farcical and more farcical as each and every match is being played. It's tough and it's difficult. Side of that, like I said, the Columbus crew played well. Great, you know, the, the Kenny Yaboa, the, the Yaboa goal, um, nothing you can do about that. They were down to 10 men at the time because Reyes took a hard shot to the midsection and had to uh, walk off. They had to restart and they scored. Great job, though, by Carlos Cornell to get a hand on it. Unfortunately, not enough because it's, it leaked through. Great goal, just outside the area. Uh, Christian Ramirez, another great goal by him to make it 1-0 at the time. And Elise Manuel scored a great header to level the match at one towards halftime. And I really thought the Red Bulls were playing strong. They had the majority of the possession. And they were attacking. And they were setting up very well. And once again, for officiating at that one point, that one little juncture, cost the Red Bulls at least one point. 
Because the truth is, is that the referee, in my mind, intentionally interfered with Elise Manuel's psyche because there was a check going on, and this was this was from head coach Troy Lassane on our post-match press conference on the Zoom. Even he said it. It was during a check. He was allowed to take a penalty during a check. That's not what's supposed to happen. Is there new rule now or a new law saying while there's a check going on, you can take a penalty? Because there is a law saying that if you get fouled and you're going to take a free kick, you can request the 10 yards or you can request not to have the 10 yards. Because if that is now involved in the checks for VAR for penalties, well, then that's got to be communicated with us to make us understand, can he take the penalty? Can, he, can, can a player taking a spot kick in regulation time is he allowed to take a spot kick without, you know, during a VAR check? Is it possible? Because if it is, you got to tell us. Because if there isn't, well, then it's up to the referee, and it's the job of the referee to whistle that down and inform Manuel. And the goalkeeper, bring the ball back, bring the ball back, put it back on the spot kick. We're not done with this VAR check. That's right. And the referee, once again, has failed informing us about the laws of the game. I don't understand it. I am still flabbergasted about it. And it's very, very disheartening to have just to be informed by this. It's very disheartening and it's very stupid. And once again, the head of pro, Mark Geiger, I I really think he has to inform us what's going on here. Howard Webb left pro to handle the referees at the FA and to help out with the VAR situation to improve on that. But once again, we need clarification. And let me also say this with pro. We understand you probably don't want to talk to the media about this. Well, look, you're going to have to step up and talk to us about this because we want to make sure we understand what's going on here. And we want to make sure that your officials, you know, all four. Referees, far side assistants, near side assistants, fourth official, VAR room. What in the hell is going on? You know, I wanted to give praise to Ishmael Elfath on the job he did at the World Cup in Qatar. Because, you know... What I like to see is a referee go out there, not just officiating the match properly, but 
show communication. Show that he cares. Don't just be demonstrative in your actions on the cards or on the fouls. Show communication. I know referees deserve respect, and I understand that. But at the same time, they got to return the favor, too. And the one game I saw where, I believe it was from Ghana, which they won the match, but they were eliminated anyway from, the, from going into the round of 16, was the player who scored a goal was already on a yellow card. Scored a big goal for a match winner and celebrated by ripping off his shirt. And as everybody knows now in these days, male or female, you take off your shirt, you get booked for it. Well, he was already on a yellow card. And so he went to the player, congratulating him on his goal, and he had a conversation telling him, but look, you know I have to do this. It's in the, it's in the laws of the game. I have to book you for this. And then unfortunately, it's your second yellow, and i got to send you off. And the, and the player understood. He knew what he did. He shook his hand. He shook Elfath's hand. Elfath then produced the yellow, put it down, pulled out the red to say you're done. And off you go. And that's what I like to see. And that's where I think Ishmael Elfath is probably one of the better referees in all of CONCACAF and in MLS. Now, let me also say this, and I'm going to be honest. When I first saw him officiating games, I thought he was terrible. I thought he was terrible because he was just brand new. And I'm thinking to myself, if this guy's not going to learn how to be a proper referee, well, then what's the point? But he improved himself. He improved his officiating game. He's made better decisions. He's made qualified, smart decisions on fouling, on fouls and cards and sendings off. To me, Ishmael Elfath is now one of the better referees in all of MLS and in pro. And he was also the referee to be involved with the learning of how VAR was going to be enforced and what to do. And I give him so much credit, so much credit in improving himself and how he officiates the game, either on a league level, on a CONCACAF level, and now a FIFA level. And I'm very happy to see that. And I want to give him props and praise for what I saw out there. But now for the New York Rebels, they got three more matches remaining before the League's Cup gets underway. And more information about that later on this month about League's Cup. Other than that, I want to thank my guest tonight, Mike Kuhn from Kansas City Soccer Journal joining me tonight don't forget this sunday at eight o'clock eastern on fox sports excuse me on fox sports it will be the united states taking on canada in the Concacaf gold cup quarterfinals join me later on uh for post-match and it will be if the match does go into extra time and or penalty kicks my name is daniel Feuerstein. thank you for listening to me tonight and as always please enjoy your football thank you take care so long and Bye-bye for now.